0: Everyone, take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Esther as we continue our series. Entitled All In, we are just got a couple of weeks left in this series. We're looking at chapter 8 this morning, Esther chapter 8, verse 1 through 17 as we continue our verse by verse, chapter by chapter study through this wonderful story. It's on page 206 if you may be using one of the Bibles provided this morning. As you're turning there, uh, some of you have already asked, where's uh, Pastor Barry today, our assistant pastor? You know, did he get lost on the way to church? He's actually preaching at a church in Fort Collins for a pastor friend of ours who was on vacation and said, hey, can you send somebody? to fill in we said yeah so he's up there preaching this morning so pray for him as he's delivering a message up there this morning be back with us uh, next week Um, how many guys like to play cards any kind of cards all right uno skip bow phase 10 poker whatever you like to play cards isn't it great when you're playing those card games you know like uno or phase 10 or skip bow or even poker and you get what's called a wild card don't you love that? You know, I think there's one of those games, you know, you get dealt like five cards, and if you like get three or four wild cards, you're like, I'm gonna kill everybody right now. Cause wild cards are great because they can, they can make your hand so much better when you have a wild card. You can, you can turn them into anything that you want to make them, whatever number, whatever color. You know, it's a wild card. You can use it to your benefit, however it helps you the best. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes in life to be dealt a wild card? <laughs> You know, when you're going through difficulties, you're going through challenges, you're going through struggles, if God would just kind of reach down and give you a spiritual wild card, anybody ever need one of those, amen? Just lift it up, say yes. Well, listen, I want to encourage you this morning where we're at in Esther, because the title of this message is wild card. I want you to understand that God is bigger than our perils, our persecutions, and our problems in our life. You believe that? Say yes. Yes. He's bigger than all of those things and sometimes when we need it most in his grace and mercy he'll reach down and give us a wild card. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In our story Esther and Mordecai the Jewish people have been dealt a really bad hand in this story. Uh, for the most part, in, in, in the first seven chapters. You know, they're, they're about to be annihilated because of this law, this evil Haman has, has put in place. But God today is going to give them a wild card opportunity to turn their really bad hand and circumstance they've been dealt into a really great situation that's going to be a great blessing to them. Let me give you a quick review where we've been in the first seven chapters. and We just have a couple of chapters left. And I, I kind of give you a little bit of an outline in your notes Kind of just to uh, summarize where we've been In chapter 1 through 2 And you have this in your notes We saw the rise of Esther This obscure girl She was a Jewish orphan Um, She was living in Persia Um, A lot of the Jews have been exiled there And they were still there Um, They had a beauty contest to select a new queen She gets chosen And so we see her come into power The most unlikely of persons Gets chosen to be the queen of Persia And her name is Esther And the king And most of the people don't realize When she's chosen that she's a Jew So we see her come into power. In chapter 3 through 5, we see the resolve of Esther. As this evil Haman puts this evil plan, he signs into law. He hates the Jewish people and he hates... Particularly, one Jew named Mordecai. So he signs into law that in one year all the Jews are going to be annihilated. Esther finds out about this, and she is uh, resolves to go to the king and say, "King, can you do something about it?" and let him know about this plan. And then in chapter six through seven, the last couple of weeks, we saw the revelation of Esther as she reveals to the king Haman, you know, and his evil plan, and that you know he's a traitor and he's just out to you know get rid of all the Jews. And she also reveals that she's a Jew and she's the queen, and so. This would also affect her life as we ended last week we finally got rid of the villain in this story Haman as we saw that he was hung on the very gallows he had prepared for his arch enemy Mordecai the Jew but instead the king finds out that Mordecai had saved the king's life and he honored him and instead of uh, Mordecai being hung on the gallows that Haman made who was hung on the gallows Haman was. He was hung. And so we ended the story with the villain being off the scene, but there was still a major problem as we ended chapter 7. The decree to have the Jews annihilated that law was still in effect. The law of the Medes and Persians could not be altered. It could not be changed. And so even though Haman was dead, the law was still in effect and it could not be altered historians tell us that there were probably about 15 million Jews living in the Persian Empire at this time with hundred million Persians so they were a minority for sure and you know who was going to go to bat for them what was going to happen in a year when this this law goes into effect where they're supposed to be annihilated I mean basically in this story the fuse has been lit and even though Haman has been extinguished this fuse is still about to go off and so we're going to see what's going to happen today. Esther and Mordecai and the Jews have been dealt a really bad hand, a really bad situation. And they need a wild card from God. And the good news is they're about to get it. Let's pick up our story. And we're going to at three things today. The first one in your notes is Mordecai's promotion. Mordecai the Jew's promotion. Chapter 8, verse 1. On that day... Now, those of you guys that have been coming to the orchard for a while, I've mentioned this several times. Whenever you see that day in the scriptures, if you start looking around in the story, it's a preview or description of what's going to happen in that day at the second coming of Christ when he's going to come back to rule and reign on this earth. And you know what's going to be the atmosphere at the end of the tribulation? We studied this through the book of Revelation. The whole world is coming against the Jews to annihilate them. And then Jesus comes back and he delivers them. That's exactly what's going on in this story. I just want to point that out to you guys because I've mentioned it several times and I want to show it to you in the scripture when it comes up. This story of Esther is kind of a preview of what's going to happen during the tribulation with the Jewish people. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, now that he's dead. And Mordecai came before the king. For Esther had told how he was now related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and he gave it to who? To Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. What a turn of events. Haman has now been killed on the gallows, and in ancient history, when a traitor would be killed, their estate would immediately go to the king. We know back in chapter 5, verse 11, we were told that Haman had great wealth. He was a very wealthy man. He was a very powerful man. He bragged about his wealth. And so now he's dead. The king immediately inherits his house and all of his wealth. But what does the king do? He immediately gives it to Esther as a gift. Isn't that just like a man? If you've been following this story, you know, the king was the one who gave permission to Haman to put this evil decree to have the Jews killed, which he didn't realize at the time, but it included his wife. He now knows it. He feels really bad about it. He's done something really stupid, really dumb. So he's trying to give a gift to his wife to make up for it. Men, you ever been there? Say yes. You know, you bring the flowers home. You know, you're trying to make things. That's what the king is, is doing here. You remember when uh, Kobe Bryant committed adultery on his wife? And you remember like five days later in the news, they, they came up with this story. Kobe Bryant bought a $4 million ring for his wife, trying to make up for things. Some of you ladies are like, that might do it. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what King Ahasuerus is doing right here. He's trying to probably make up for his bad decision. And then not only that, but he... Finds out in verse 1 that Mordecai, the Jew that saved his life up until now, he did not know what we've known throughout this story, that Mordecai and Esther are related. They're cousins, but they're more than that. Remember, Mordecai was the adoptive father of Esther. And now the king realizes that in verse 1. He's like, you got to be kidding me. This same Mordecai, the Jew who saved my life, is related to Esther, my queen and my wife, which now means the king is also related to Mordecai. By marriage. And of course Esther as his wife. And isn't it ironic in verse 2 here what we see? That the king gives the ring that he once gave to, to Haman and made him his prime minister. He now gives it to Mordecai. And he promotes Mordecai to the very position that Haman once held. God has turned everything around and now he's the prime minister. And then the king has given the wealth of Haman's house to Esther. And who does she turn around and give it to? Her adoptive father, who's cared for her her whole life, gives it to Mordecai. It's ironic how these things are taking place at the end of the story. Now, let me point this out. After the king, at this point in the Persian Empire, think about it for a minute. This is the Persian Empire led by Persians and a Persian king. But at this point in history, and you could check this out in history, the two most powerful people in the kingdom after King Ahasuerus are Jews. They're Jews. Esther And Mordecai. And yet there's a decree to have them annihilated in about eight more months. How's God gonna work this out? But you know what this reminds us as we see Haman off the scene, and and now Mordecai has the house of Haman, and he has the ring, and he has the power? It reminds us of this truth that God knows how to right the wrongs in our life if we'll wait on him and be patient. He is the one. Vengeance is mine, says who? The Lord we don't have to make things happen and manipulate them if God wants to honor us and God wants to bless us he'll do it in his way in his timing he will right the wrongs in our life we just need to remain faithful and true to him let me remind you what the psalmist said in Psalm 37 34 and the first verse, first word is the hardest say it church that's the hard part wait on the Lord and keep his way in the meantime while you're waiting waiting doesn't mean you sit around and do nothing It means that you keep serving the Lord. You keep following the Lord. You keep trusting the Lord. You don't give up on the Lord while you're waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. That's exactly what has happened in our story in Esther. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 applies very uh, closely to us today. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In his time, not our time, casting all our cares upon him, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever trouble we're going through, we give it to him, we wait on him, we're patient, we cast it upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Anybody need to hear that this morning? Say yes. He cares for you. He cares just as much about you as he did Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people. Wait on him. Trust Him. When we're, we've been dealt a bad hand, or you feel like you've been treated unfairly, give it to God, wait on Him, let Him take care of it in due time. God dealt Mordecai a wild card promotion here that was an incredible blessing because he waited on the Lord. Number two in your notes, we see not only Mordecai's promotion, we see Esther's petition. She's got a new request of the king. Let's pick it up in verse 3 in our story. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. Because even though he's off the scene, the law is still in effect that the Jews are to be annihilated. And the king held out the golden scepter to accept her toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. This is the second time she's gone before the king with a request, and he's accepted her. Again, reminding us that I think this king really did love her and care about her. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 5. And said, if it pleases, Esther said, if it pleases the king, and I have found favor in the sight of... uh, sight, in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman. In other words, reverse or change the law, which he couldn't do. The son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces, all over Persia. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? This is Esther's petition to the king. She understood this law was still in effect. Esther couldn't do everything as queen, but she could do something, and she did. So she asked the king to try to reverse this edict that Haman devised, do something about it. She's very concerned, and she's in tears begging him. The most important thing in Esther's life at this point, as we see it, was not her comfort. She could have just been comfortable and said, well, you know, I'm the queen. I'm going to be okay. The king's going to protect me. I'm in the palace. Everything's cool. She could have just been comfortable because she was going to probably be okay. But it wasn't her comfort that she was most interested in. It was the salvation of her people. She was concerned about them. She loved them. And she put away her comfort, put her life at risk again. If the king wouldn't have accepted her, he could have had her killed. And was concerned about the salvation Of her people who were condemned by this law that Haman had put in place. There's a great application, church, for all of us this morning. We need to be concerned like Esther about condemned people. We need to be more concerned about condemned people than our comfort. John, you say, What condemned people? Who 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 are you talking about? Who's condemned? Let me remind you of what John 3.18 says. We, we often quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wonderful verse. Probably one of the best verses in the Bible. But do we ever go to John 3.18 that says this. For he who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. Those of you here this morning that believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That's the good news. But here's the bad news. But he who does not believe, who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, their Lord and Savior, is what, church? Is condemned already. That's the spiritual condition, according to the Bible, of every person who has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that was our spiritual condition before we did. We were not, you know, just, you know, average people or good old Joes. We were condemned spiritually. Is what the Bible says. Because why? He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There are two, most statistics say there are about two billion people in the world today. Two billion that have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. That's one of the reasons why we have missionaries that we send out around the world that we support. And we don't just focus on here, but the world. Two billion people who the Bible say without Christ are condemned. But let's bring it to home because it starts right here. You may not be able to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. You may not be able to go to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa to people who have never heard the gospel. But you can go to the people that live around you in your sphere of influence The people you work with, your neighbors, your friends, your family members that don't know Christ. How many of you this morning can think of somebody right now in your sphere of influence that you're pretty sure they do not know Christ? Would you lift up your hand? Lift it up nice and high. That's just about everybody. The Bible says those people are condemned. They're just as condemned or more so than the 15 million Jews in Persia. You know, that condemnation for them was a death physically. But this is a death spiritually that's even worse because it lasts forever. For all eternity. This is serious business. Let's take, I've told you guys this many times and I'm going to keep saying it. This is what brought our family to Denver, Colorado. Colorado to plant the orchard church. We started doing demographic studies of the United States going, okay God, we wanna go to a place that needs a church. We wanna go to a place where there's a lot of people that don't go to church and don't know Christ. I grew up in Oklahoma in the Midwest. I mean, like the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I mean, there's a church on every corner. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I remember the first time I drove around Denver, I'm like, where are the churches? Now I know they're here, but there's not enough of them. And certainly not enough of them giving the gospel. 90% of people in Denver metro area claim no church affiliation whatsoever. 90%. We're the fourth most unchurched metropolitan city in the United States. Denver, Colorado. This area, right here where we live, in this community, right here in Adams County, right here in the Brighton Reunion area, Henderson area, uh, there's 50,000 people that live in a five-mile radius of Prairie View High School. If we apply that 90% rule, 40 to 45,000 of them don't claim any church, I'm going to guess that many of them don't know Christ. Probably some of them do, and they just don't go to church, but I would say many of them, let's cut it in half. There's 20,000. Let's say there's only 20,000. Let's say there's only 10,000. We got a lot of work to do, Church. We got a lot of work to do to not be comfortable and be concerned like Esther about people who are condemned. Let's just talk about the students alone. I know I talk about this a lot because it's a passion of my heart. We have the privilege to meet right here in Prairie View High School that 1,600 students walk in and out of these doors every day. 85% of all people except Christ do so before the age of 18. This is a mission field we're meeting in right here. There's 3,000 students between Prairie View High School, Middle School, and Stuart Middle School right here, and that doesn't even count Brighton, that need Christ. You know, we gave you last week these, these cards, showing God's love. I hope some of you guys pick these up. Um, if you didn't, pick them up this week. It's just a simple little way to give to a neighbor, give to a friend, do something nice for someone, give them this card. It sh- says, showing God's love, no strings attached. It's just got our website for people that are interested in knowing more about God. There's simple ways for us to be concerned about those who are condemned. I hope we can be a church full of esters who have a heart for people who do not know Christ. Amen? We lose that, then we've, we've missed it, folks. That's why we're here in this community. Let's not get comfortable. You know, we've got a wonderful church. And I know you guys love our church and I love our church. And I can't tell you how privileged and honored I feel every week. To be able to, to minister to you guys and bring the word of God. I mean, you guys are the greatest people in the world as far as I'm concerned. It's a privilege. But you know what? Let's not get comfortable with just, well, I'm saved and I'm on the way to heaven. And I know my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm okay. And I have my small group. And I have my friends. And I have my church. And it's all good. And forget about those people that don't. Let's not get comfortable. Let's get concerned about those. And let's be willing to do something about it. Do what we can do about it like Esther Edward Hale said it this way, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Do what you can do in your sphere of influence to reach people for Christ. Hasn't it been encouraging that right here in Denver, we have a guy like Tim Tebow who is making a difference He's one guy, he's one NFL player among hundreds, but boy, is he making a difference. John 3.16 was the number one most thing searched on Google on January 9th after Denver beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. We won't talk about the next week. We're just going to remember that one. We're just going to remember that one and leave it there. Just going to hang on that till next year, that incredible overtime win. But he, he, he's making a difference. He's one, but he's one that is making a difference. One person can make a big difference. Esther did. Think about the difference you can make in your neighborhood. Think about the difference you can make in your workplace. Students, the difference you can make here at Prairie View High School or Brighton High School or Stewart Middle School or Prairie View Middle School or VCon, wherever you go. Your friends, your family members. You see, you have an opportunity to reach people for Christ in your sphere of influence that I will never have because I don't know them. I'm not connected with them. Make a difference where you are. I I sometimes say this to you guys or individuals, but I'm going to say it publicly. I'm often jealous of you guys in this way. You guys, many of you, you know, you work in the secular uh, workplace and and, in the secular environment and you get an opportunity every day to be around people that need Christ and I'm jealous of that. Many times, I have to kind of work hard to put myself in positions. And Shelley and I do that. We try to get involved with the school and our kids' sports and drama and things. And and we've met many families through that and brought some of them to Christ. And some of them are sitting in the auditorium this morning. But you guys have an opportunity every day. Some of you, you know, maybe you complain and you whine about where you work, and God has put you there to be a lighthouse, to to make a, a difference. You know, most of the people I work with day in and day out know Christ. There's a couple I'm, I'm concerned about, but most of them, <laughs> you have an opportunity. I know some of you probably look at us as ministers and go, oh, it'd be great to work in a Christian environment all the time around Christians and all of that. And, and it is nice, but yet we many times are envious of you guys that have the opportunities to make a difference where there's a lot of people around you that don't know Christ. Esther's petition. For her people, God's people, the Jews, gave the king an opportunity to give Esther and the Jews a wild card. Watch how this plays out. Number three. We've seen Mordecai's promotion, Esther's petition. Now let's take a look at King Ahasuerus' proclamation. Verse 7. And we're going to read 7 through 17. I'll make some comments, so hang in there. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves, now here's the wild card the king gives them. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please. In other words, just like Haman wrote a law, I'm going to give you a wild card. I can't change that law. Even the king couldn't change it. But I can give you a wild card and let you write a new law. That's the great thing about wild cards. You can use them however you want. He says, you yourselves write a decree, a law concerning the Jews, as you please. Use it however is fitting. In the king's name and seal it with the king's signet. For whatever is written in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Verse 9. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan. On the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia. That was the size of Persia at that time. 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script, script and language. So he says, I'm gonna, I can't change the old law, but you can write a new law, write it, and then send it to everyone just like we did the first one. Verse 10, and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. I mean, these were some fast, I mean, this was like a bunch of secretariats sending out this news. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city, now watch this, here's the new law, to gather and protect their lives. When the law goes into effect on March 7th, which is our calendar date, He says, they can protect themselves. They can defend themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would try to assault them and their children and women and to plunder their possessions. On one day in all provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, that's the Jewish calendar, which begins in April, by the way, in the month Nisan, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree, a law in every province and be published for all people so that the Jews would be what? They'd be ready, they're ready on that day, that day, hint, to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed or urged on by the king's command and the decree, the law was issued in Shushan, the citadel. It was written, verse 15, so Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white. Because man, he's the man now. I mean, he's the prime minister. He's now in the position that Haman once held. He's a royalty. He had a, a, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. So the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor because of this new law. And in every province and city wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had what church? Joy, gladness, a feast, a party. They had a holiday. Kids got out of school Then many of the people of the land, watch this, became Jews. Because fear of the Jews fell upon them. They were beginning to put two and two together and realize these were God's people. And God had completely turned this entire story around. We've seen Mordecai's promotion, Esther's petition, and now Ahasuerus' proclamation. Now remember again, Haman's edict was still in place. It was unalterable. The Jews had been dealt a very bad hand. The king couldn't change that law, so he gives them a wild card to write a new law, a new decree to defend themselves. That's what wild cards do. You can use them however you want. Evidently, there were still Haman. Even though Haman was dead and he was off the scene, he had a lot of followers. And people that probably wanted to avenge his death, and they couldn't wait until that date On March 7th, according to our calendar, when they could annihilate the Jews, they were probably getting ready and anti-Semitism was still rampant in the Persian Empire. And so they're given this wild card to write a new law that they can defend themselves when this takes place. For those of you that like history, let me give you some fun dates. The first decree of Haman was written on April 17th, 474 B.C., when you go with our calendar. And of course, our calendar starts in January. And as I said, the Jewish calendar starts in April, the month of Nisan. Seventy days have passed, approximately. Haman is now off the scene, and now they're given this wild card, and they write the new law in verse 9. This second decree was written on, in our calendar, June 25th, 474 B.C. In the Jewish calendar was the 23rd day of the third month. D-Day for the Jews was still March the 7th. March the 7th. So the Jews had about eight months to prepare and get ready to defend themselves. And anybody that tried to attack them, they could annihilate them. Now, some people that like to try to, you know, discount the Bible and uh, its validity and how could a God of love and mercy and grace want to people to kill people and they ask the question is it really ethical for God to give the Jews permission to kill these people and annihilate them well notice in verse 11 what it says here it says that they wrote this law that they could protect themselves protect their lives this is not God's not just having the God's people the Jews just go attack people for the fun of it It's to defend themselves. And as you look throughout the scripture, that's true in every case. When God allowed his people to to annihilate another race, it was because that race was trying to annihilate them. It was was protection. It was self-defense. It was not an act of vengeance or murder. Self-defense is not a crime. But what Haman had put in place, genocide is. If you agree with that, say yes. So this is, is God allowing his people to defend their lives That are about to be destroyed for no reason at all. Now let me give you this note. Mordecai's new decree was in complete harmony with God's covenant he made with Abraham. Because remember, this is the Jewish people. These are God's people. This is where the Messiah is supposed to come from. If the Jewish people are annihilated, how are we going to have a Messiah? This was to protect God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12 verse 3 that said, I will bless those Israel, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who cursed you. That's why, in my opinion, this is not a political statement, this is a biblical statement. We had better never, ever, as a country, turn our back on Israel. We better never turn our back on Israel. Now, you do with that what you want, but I'm just telling you, that's not a political statement, that's a biblical statement. You do not, you do not. Go away from defending Israel and being on their side if you want God to bless you. I believe in my opinion, my opinion, that's one of the reasons why God has blessed America for 200 years, because we have sided with Israel. We better not slip away from that. I better move on. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. J. Vernon McGee said it this way. I I, I quoted this earlier in the study. The Jews have attended the funeral of every one of the nations that have tried to exterminate them. And they will once again in the tribulation. God's going to defend his people. At the end here in verse 16 and 17, it says that the Jews throw a party. Man, I mean, they've been in mourning. They've been in crying. They go, we're going to be annihilated on March 7th. And then they get this new law, this wild card is played that we can defend ourselves. And we've got eight months to prepare. And they throw a party. I mean, this is like Christmas, New Year's, 4th of July, all rolled into one. It's an incredible celebration. And then as I pointed out in verse 17, it ends with many of those in Persia becoming Jews. I think they were beginning to realize the God that was behind the people of the Jews. And they realized how God was working in their favor. And they were like, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. We're going to be on their side. And they were going to help them, many of them, defend as we're going to see next week. And so they began, they, they said, you know what, it doesn't matter if we're Persians. Today, we're with you. We're Jews. We're with you. We're with your God. It reminds me of a, a neat little story that uh, came out of a tragedy in um, March 30th, 1981. That was the day that John Hinckley Jr. tried to assassinate the president of the United States, which at that time was President Ronald Reagan. How many of y'all remember that? I remember it very well. And the president took a bullet and needed surgery. Um, he was conscious. They, they, they took him to the Washington Hospital there in Washington, D.C., and as he was laying there getting ready to be prepped to go into surgery from the bullet that he took, you know, he had a, quite a sense of humor, and he looked up at a lot of doctors and nurses around him, and he said, boy, I sure hope you are all Republicans. <laughs> to which the main physician said, today, Mr. President, we're all Republicans, That's what happened here in Persia. Many of the people said, we're we're with you. We're with the Jews. We're with God's people. Now, next week as we go into our last couple of chapters, and we'll probably do 9 and 10 together next week, but don't hold me to that, but I think we will. We're going to fast forward eight months to the day, March 7th on our calendar, 473 BC, when these two laws are going to collide. People are going to try to annihilate the Jews and the Jews are going to be able to defend themselves and we're going to find out who's going to win. What's going to happen? But you have to wait till next next week to see the rest of the story and how these two laws collide and how this plays out. And you don't want to miss it. Let me give you a couple applications before we close this this morning. Isn't it interesting that chapter 8 begins with Queen Esther in tears before the king... But the chapter ends with Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people in joy and celebration and partying and praising God for what he has done. That is a great practical application for all of us today when we go through trials and tribulations and difficulties in our life. Let me give you a couple of practical ways that God might choose to give us a wild card. First, there's the wild card of life. That God can turn our tears and our mourning into joy and rejoicing if He chooses to give us the wild card. Psalm 30 verse 10 says this, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. This might be a prayer that some of you need to be praying right now. If you're going through difficulties, trials, tribulations, and trouble in your life, make this your prayer. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. He wants to help you. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Isn't it awesome when God turns our mourning into dancing? He can do that. You have put off my sackcloth and mourning and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Sometimes we feel like maybe today, you right now feel like you've been dealt a pretty bad hand. And you need a wild card. Ask God. Ask God to step in. Ask Him to help you. Ask Him to work in your life. Now, He may not take all the circumstances away, but He can give you joy and gladness in the midst of them. Something the world can't give you. Here's the the biggest part. Be patient. And that's the hardest part. Amen? Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. I mean, Mordecai and Esther were patient throughout this story and they waited on the Lord, but they were faithful in the meantime and they trusted God and they believed God was going to work it out. That's why they were willing to go all in with their faith and leave the results to God and look what God has done gloriously in their life. Be patient because God may be ready to hand you a wild card just around the corner, just when you're about ready to give up and you don't think you can go another day. Man, aren't you thankful when the Scripture says that the Lord will not test us above that which we're able (laughs) He knows just how hot to turn the fire up where we can't stand it. And then he steps in. The theme verse really of I think this whole story, we began with this several weeks ago, is Romans 8.28. We quote it all the time, but you've seen it lived out in this story of Esther. And we know that, say it church. Okay, if we're going to read the word all, we should all say it. For we know that That doesn't say some things. That doesn't say most things. It doesn't say a few things. Take God at His word. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now there's the key. If you love God and you know God and you have Jesus Christ in your life, this verse is for you. We know that all things work together for good even when it seems like they're not. Like this story. To those who are the called according to His purpose. We need like Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people to believe that God is working behind the scenes of our life even when it seems like He's absent. And we need to wait on Him. And, and, and I have found in my life that those times that seem to be the most difficult and challenging is usually when God wants to do the greatest work. I, I've shared this with you guys before kind of briefly, but the orchard church was started out of a time in Shelley and I's life that we were going through a trial and a tribulation. I was a pastor of a church in Indiana. I was there eight years, to make a long gory story short. Toward the last couple of years, I, I, you guys know me. I had a passion for our community, wanted to reach people for Christ, and I realized it was a church that was 60 years old. Some things needed to change. I used to wear a suit and tie every Sunday. That's why I never wear them anymore except when I have to. You know, we, 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 the style, it just was, it was different. And, and we were having a really hard time reaching the, the younger generation of our community and reaching teenagers and students and reaching young couples and families. And, and I, you know, I kept saying, you know, we, we're going to have to change some things, you know, to reach people. I mean, Paul said he became all things to all men that he might reach some. Listen, the message never changes, but our method's better. And there's a difference. If you're with me, say yes. Y'all got all quiet and got me nervous for a second there. Y'all want me back in a suit? Come on now. If I do, then you do. Does that kind of help? That? Okay, there we go. And, and, and so anyway, I, I, you know, we were trying to lead the church, you know, to kind of loosen up a little bit, if you know what I mean, and, you know, to try to, to be more effective to reach our community, But but I had... You know, a guy on staff that wanted to keep it more traditional and more conservative. And you all, some of you all have been there. You know what I'm talking about without going into all the gory details. And so basically he got a little coup together, a group of people that wanted to go one way. And I had people following me that wanted to go the other way. And I had one of two choices. Leave and God had something else for me or split the church. And I ain't splitting a church. I'm not being a part of that. And so Shelly and I resigned and we stepped down having no clue what God wanted us to do. And we shed a lot of tears. It was a tough time in our life, but we believed God had something else for us. And it was in the midst, I mean, I I didn't know where my next paycheck was going to come from. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't start, I I had churches that I could have probably called and became pastor of, but I wasn't interested in that. I wanted God to do the work in my life. I wanted it to be God. I didn't send one resume out or anything. And to make a long story short, in the midst of that, God handed us a wild card and he said, you know what, it's time to start a church. And through a set of circumstances, God brought us to Colorado. This church would have never started had we not gone through a trial and a tribulation. And the same may be true in your life. Whatever God brings you to, He'll bring you through. And He may just have something glorious at the other end of it if you'll wait on it. Just like in this story, the wild card of life that God sometimes gives us. I'm thankful for those wild cards, amen? And then there's the wild card of salvation. The wild card of salvation. Let's not miss this. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, when God told them not to eat of the tree, and they did, God said, if you eat of that tree, what was God's law? The day you eat, you shall surely what? Die. He told them what the law was, and they broke it. That's called sin. And ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, the law, listen, church, the law of sin and death have been in place for all of mankind ever since the law of sin and death adam and eve dealt us all a really bad hand they did romans 323 says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god romans 623 says the wages the payment of sin is what it's death That is God's law. Someone has to die for sin. That's what the Bible says. That's what God's law says. You break man's law, you pay man's penalty. You break God's law, you pay God's penalty. And he said, the payment and the penalty of sin is, say it church, death. Listen to me, that is an unalterable, unchangeable law. Are you ready for the good news? Here's the good news. 2,000 years ago, God gave us a wild card. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. God couldn't change his law, but he gave us a new law. Jesus died in our place. Someone has to die for sin? So God said, I'll send my son Jesus to die. And He gave us a new law. Romans 8.2 says it so clearly. Listen. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's something to praise God for right there, y'all. God couldn't change His old law, but He gave us a new law for those who will only accept it by faith. Romans 3.23 says the wages, the payment of sin is death. But... I love but in the Bible. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the new law. I've got three cards here. I'm going to close with this. I don't know if you guys can see them all the way back there. But if you were dealt these three cards, let's say you're playing three-card poker and you're wanting a good hand, this is not a really good hand. I mean, we've got a nine of spades, a king of hearts, and a six of diamonds. We, got, we don't have any... Cards that match, we have no pairs, we have no flush, we have no straight. This is not a very good hand at all if you were dealt this hand. If I were going to keep one card out of this hand, which one would you keep? King of hearts. I'd probably keep that one, okay? So that's the one in the middle. So I'm going I'm to take the king of hearts, I'm just going to lay it down right there. So that leaves us with the nine of spades and the, what is that, six of diamonds, okay? Those are the two cards left. I'm just going to put those right here. And this is, uh, what was this? This was the king of hearts. I've told you guys over and over in this story what's unique about the book of Esther. It's a book that God's name is never mentioned one time. Jesus' name is never mentioned one time. But those of you that have been going through this story with us, is it not completely clear and obvious that even though God's name is not mentioned and it seems like He is absent and it seems like He's not there for Esther and Mordecai and the Jews... He is. He is there. He is present. He is working. He's involved. And He, even when we think He's not there in our life, is. He is. And Jesus is always the wild card. And if you got Jesus, you got everything you need. And even when it seems like He's not around, He is. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?